This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by UBCP ACTRA, a.k.a. the Union of British Columbia Performers. UBCP is an autonomous branch of the Alliance of Canadian Cinema, Television, and Radio Artists, the national organization of professional performers working in the English language recorded media in Canada. For more information about UBCP ACTRA, visit ubcpactra.ca. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart of the Vancouver film and television industry, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Ronnie Firminger, and today... Well, today I am absolutely delighted to welcome Andrea Menard to the Wavair Screen Scene Podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. <laughs> so Andrea is one of the stars of Sullivan's Crossing, the hit CTV show based on the best-selling books by Robin Carr. The dramatic series follows young neurosurgeon Maggie Sullivan as she flees the challenges of her life in the big city and returns to the idyllic Nova Scotia campground owned and operated by her estranged father, Sully. There, Maggie confronts the childhood trauma that shaped her soulless life in the big city and finds something special with mysterious handyman Cal. Sullivan's Crossing is addictive. It's intriguing. It's full of romance and gorgeous scenery. And honestly, I loved escaping to Sullivan's Crossing to spy on Maggie and Cal and all of my faves over the course of its 10 episode first season. And I am not alone in that. In October 2023, when Sullivan's Crossing was about to hit the CW after making waves north of the border, Cosmopolitan Magazine described Sullivan's Crossing as the ultimate fall comfort watch. I agree with Cosmo in this case, and I will go one step further. If Sullivan's Crossing is the ultimate comfort watch, then Edna Cranebear, as played by Andrea Menard, is the show's ultimate source of comfort. Edna and her husband Frank, played by the legendary Tom Jackson, who will always be Peter from North of 60 to me, are Sully's oldest friends and the best example of a loving, honest and mutually supportive relationship in Sullivan's Crossing. Not that they always have an easy time of it. In season one, and I am happy to say that Sullivan's Crossing will soon return for season two, but in season one, we see Edna and Frank wrestle with mortality and the finite nature of our time on this planet when Frank is, okay, no spoilers, go and watch it, but Frank should listen to his wife more often. Edna is at once deeply caring and compassionate and also takes no shit from anyone, especially the people who she loves. There's a steely will there that I suspect is representative of Andrea herself. Edna's a little bit different, okay, a lot different, from one of my other favorite Andrea Menard roles, that of the fierce and feisty and always on the offensive Debbie Fraser, RIP Debbie, on Blackstone. Andrea is also beloved for her leading role as Constable Amanda Strong Eagle in the groundbreaking, groundbreaking Moccasin Flats and the supernatural crime drama Rabbit Fall. She's also a 15-time Music Award winner for her five albums, and she's toured her Métis Cabaret, Rubaboo, hope I'm saying that correctly, Okay, she's nodding. Across this land, she's a TEDx speaker, wellness trainer, founder of the Sacred Feminine Learning Lodge, has used her voice to encourage others to end violence against Indigenous women and girls, and in 2021 was named Actra Nationals Woman of the Year. <sighs> Honestly, introducing Andrea is daunting. <laughs> she contains multitudes, but maybe those multitudes will serve as a starting point. Today, we'll look into these multitudes, these roles and accomplishments and passions, and seek to understand the woman behind the art and the acclaim. Andrea Menard, 
Welcome to the Wide Bear Screen Scene Podcast. Wow, that was really good. That's you. <laughs> well, no, your your take on my life is is wonderful. I feel like I like that person, whoever she is. <laughs> hey, you're the source of inspiration here. How how do you describe yourself? Oh, that's a good question. You know, I I didn't. It's, there's a little tongue in cheek in this, but I call myself a Métis medicine wheel. A Métis medicine wheel because, you know, a medicine wheel, if you're familiar with that symbol, it's representative of Indigenous philosophy. It's not a pan-Indigenous, you know, uh, symbol, but it does, it's really good at describing our way of looking at the world yeah. and it's holistically. So there's four equal quadrants of a medicine wheel. So mm -hmm. I call myself a Métis medicine wheel because I'm an actor, I'm a singer, I'm a writer. And I'm a speaker teacher, you know, that's the other sort of yeah. the, the messenger's, messenger side. And so when I'm using all four of those parts of myself, I'm at my best. And the center of that wheel is I'm always trying to, uh, my purpose here on the planet, I use all those things, but I'm here to uplift the world. I'm here to leave this place a better place mm. than when I, came. And so the center of that wheel is the facilitator of the rise of the sacred feminine, which is what my elders talk about. So yeah. um, I'm all of those things. I'm all of those things. And each one of them take over my life when I'm doing that particular part. Yeah. So and they're all Andrea. Yeah. Yeah. Well, OK, you know what? Who who else you could possibly be describing? And I, I did tell Andrea, I want to start with Edna. Is Edna. I want to talk about <laughs> Edna Cranebear. I want to talk about Sullivan's Crossing um, because this was, I love Sullivan's Crossing. Yes. I know I'm not alone in that. I love Edna and Frank. I love that Frank was read, trying to read Monkey Beach all throughout the, all throughout the first season. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, and so we're going to start with that and then we're going to kind of pull back a bit and go into talk about as much of all the other stuff as of all the other parts of, of you, the walking Métis medicine wheel. Yeah. Um, but what was your initial response to the material and to Edna? Well, what I loved about it, and I hadn't read the entire material, but she's like the auntie of the show. Yeah. The nice, fierce auntie, which is a a way of looking at it, because I have a lot of fierce aunties in my life. Mm -hmm. and, and, and you know, you all of a sudden grow out of the genres you used to or the age that you used to play characters. And I went, oh, my gosh, I've grown into the auntie category. I yeah. love it. So um, the fact that the writing she was I, and I didn't know much about the project I didn't know much about it but when I first read it I went oh she's she's loving and she's fierce anti yeah oh I love that I, I want to play that yeah. yeah I I love how you've described her as well and I mean I love her as an individual and I love her you know with Frank yeah. played by Tom Icon Jackson. Tom Jackson. <laughs> um, had you worked with him before? Yes, we go way back. You know, I'm a singer, right? So I was on his last big tour of the Huron Carol, the one where he had, you know, massive artists and they we traveled all across the country on flying to all these locations. Now, because that was too big of a project and, and raising less money for the food banks, mm. he they toned it down. Him and Allison, his wife, toned it down yeah. so that it was just him traveling with a few people. And so I was on the last big one 20 years ago, 2024. So like 20 years ago this year. Wow. <laughs> I know. 20th anniversary reunion tour. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. But as a as a scene partner, you know, mm. as the as the other, you know, the other part of you know this beautiful Edna Frank pairing, you know, where and the sum is, you know, or the sum is greater than the sum of whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah, my coffee is not kicked in yet. <laughs> but what kind of special qualities does Tom bring to his work? You know, especially as you know a scene partner for you. Yeah. Oh, you know, I found I find it fascinating that both Tom and I are the auntie and uncle of this show because, and we're the only indigenous characters mm -hmm. that make up Sullivan's Crossing. I think in the books, there were no indigenous people in the books, but it, this television version, um, Frank and Edna are indigenous. And, yeah. and I think it's fascinating to the people who hired us that they chose Tom 
and me, because there's not many people like you, you said all of these, you introduce all these things that I do. Mm -hmm. um, but ultimately, my real job here as okay, my real job is to help bring people back to themselves and to mm -hmm. help people walk gently with themselves so they can walk gently on this planet so we can actually do some good here. Yeah. That's my work. That's my ultimate work. And Tom isn't an actor, isn't a singer. He saves lives. That's what he says he is. Wow. So you have two people who are actors and are singers and are these performers, but our real work is to do work for the community at large. Mm. That's who we really are. And so for them to choose us too, yeah. because there's not many other people I know who, who do lots of many things, but they don't give over their lives or their careers to a higher purpose, to be mm. of service. Yeah. So <laughs> the fact that him and I are together, yeah. it, it says something about the show. Yeah. It says something about the energy of what they wanted from us. Yeah. And Tom and I, what a team. Boy, oh boy, like last season was great, but this season we really gelled in the filming of this season. Okay, so that was going to be one of my questions. Because, yeah. um, you know, when the season ends, like yeah. Edna and Frank are like, they're on their vacation yeah. in Alberta. Everything in Solvents Crossing is falling apart without Edna there. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so we are going to see you again. Oh, oops. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm relieved. Yeah. I'm very relieved to, to yeah. hear that. Okay, please continue. So we do get to see you in season two. Yes, yes, we're back. Um, so I can't say anything except... You know, I realized that I feel like the luckiest actor around mm. to be able to work with Tom every day. You know, he's he lives what he who he represents on screen. He lives that life. He's a he's a decent, decent human being who lives a life of service. Mm. But, you know, he gave me the greatest compliment because him and I were on Scott Patterson's um uh, podcast. Scott Patterson is uh, to people listening. That is Sully and also um, super from super grumpy <laughs> Luke from uh, Stars Crossing from, yeah, from uh, Gilmore Girls. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we were talking about the show, yeah. and and Tom gave me this compliment because we had our first scene, and we were it was an emotional scene or something that had to get us there, and and it was because it was the first day back for me and him you know I, I went over to him and I grabbed his hands and I just said Tom and we just looked each other in the eye and and we just got centered and I welled up and I got just because of our presence to mm. each other to be present for each other and I went into the scene and then in a way when we got scattered again I would come back and do the same thing and so I did that because I needed that and the heaves helped me hmm. but he appreciated so much without me knowing it that he talked about it on the podcast saying Andrea grounds herself and she really you know I was really admiring that and so we did that almost the entire season wow so and if we had some difficult scenes and easy but we would always connect and ground hold each other's hands look into each other's eyes and and bam there was frank and edna we Can would you be imagine if we did that yeah. in our lives all the time with our loved ones with our yeah. with our friends and like to really yeah. like wow that like exactly we would be so much more present in our lives yeah yeah and you know what the film sets are like they're chaotic and there's this going on and this going on but somehow when in the presence of everybody else we would stop everything and just go out and we and i was really proud of us yeah. really proud of us because our love which we have in real life for each other him yeah. i love him and he loves me and the fact that we could let that that just be on screen together it was just something we could build and and amplify and you know? hold on to yeah, yeah yeah exactly on the show we see a land blessing we see smudging we hear cree edna serves up bannock like yeah. what did the producers do to ensure that they got this indigenous representation right well roma roth cares deeply about getting it right you yeah. know she she knows that the common curve right now is to to be very obvious in the inclusion diversity right and it's and it's obvious in many casting but it's also fabulous you know because there would be no indigenous auntie and uncle of the show without mm -hmm. people caring about diversity and inclusion yeah. so 
she cares deeply about it. She was not necessarily educated about it, right? Mm. Um, and we tried to get consultants and, and she goes to us a lot, even though that's a burden that a lot of actors don't want to carry anymore. Yeah. Um, but with us, we sort of have a shorthand now. It's like we 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 know when I'm like red flag, red flag. That's that's sounding like a white woman, like or this, you know, yeah. red flag, or <laughs> or or she really appreciated when we would throw in little pieces because I don't speak the language and neither does Tom. But we know little pieces that are in our bones, and we mm. and when we would throw them in, they would like that. Yeah. So we sort of tried to add it, and and they appreciated it. So. Um, yeah, there's a shorthand to making sure that that because I made sure that we never forgot that we're on Mi'kmaq territory. Yeah, I'm like, do not forget. Like I'm a Tom and I or Frank and Edna are visitors of this land, just like I live in the traditional unceded territory of the Coast Salish peoples here, the yeah. Tsleil-Waututh, Musqueam and Squamish people. But I'm a Métis woman from the prairies. Yeah, but I live here. Just like I am, I don't have to be a Mi'kmaq woman. I'm not a Mi'kmaq woman, but I'm a Métis woman on Mi'kmaq territory. So so we really, I wanted to make sure that they captured that, that we're not trying to, I'm not trying to be Mi'kmaq, which is what in the past they would make everybody be of that. We're like, no, we're visitors here. So let's yeah. treat it as visitors. What do visitors do? They, yeah. Yeah, and it's a nuance that um, might not have, even occurred to writers, you know, had they yeah. not like made the effort to, yeah. you know, to um, to ask the questions and then to to listen. Yeah. Um, I, I need to I need to talk about like because I love so many characters in uh, Sullivan's Crossing and like I'm constantly angry at them too for making <laughs> yeah. bad choices. But yeah. one of the like the characters that I'm obsessed with is literally just. Sullivan's Crossing, the scenery, you know, that area, oh. you know, itself. Um, so that's like a character, you know, all all up into itself. Can you can you tell me about like what the experience of of filming there and how being pre I'm assuming you filmed on location, how being present in that, you know, in that beautiful setting, how it informed the work that you were doing. Thank you for asking that, because to me, the land is that that incredible uh, community feel mm. is because of the land, is yeah. because of the the places that you you walk through these paths. You you see the water, you see the friendly community. You know yeah. that that to me is a massive character in the show. It's yeah. what's it's what what's very appealing to people who are stuck in their you know little apartments in big cities. You know it's just not the same. Yeah. So to me. Um, oh, going there on location every day was kind of idyllic. Yeah. Like it was, I'm a nature girl myself. I have to be in oh, nature you are. every day. Yeah. Um, and so for me going to work <laughs> and being able to just sit in this big sunny patch, you know, because it's beautiful, big grassy lawn looking out at the water. That was my job. Yeah. That was my job. <laughs> How lucky am I? And then of course, that because Edna and Frank are usually at the outpost, which yeah. is on that particular location. But then you see what where everyone else was shooting and you're like, oh my goodness, all the different locations were beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So beautiful. So beautiful. Um what what have you what have you been hearing from viewers? Like, what is some of the feedback that you've heard from viewers? And I'll say, like, especially in particular, Indigenous viewers. You know, what have you? Because, like, it's, it. I would imagine that you've had some feedback, especially because Frank and Edna are just so beloved and lovely. You know, like, yeah. you, have you heard things that have touched your heart? Yes, um, from non-Indigenous community people. Uh, you know, people who have been my colleagues and friends in, say, the speaking world or and these are, you know, the rock stars of the speaking world, mm. kind of the creme of the creme of Canada. <laughs> and all of a sudden I would get these funny, oh, oh, sort of um, shy around me. Yeah. <laughs> kind of acting funny <laughs> as though, oh, I've never met a celebrity. I'm like, you are the celebrity. What are you talking about? <laughs> so having, you know, people loving the show so much. Yeah. Um, surprised me, you know, they, that their behavior towards me changed, yeah. which I found very sweet. But then when it came to Indigenous uh, feedback, I would say that it's not that I'm aware of. I don't know about a huge Indigenous 
watcher, you know, like the watchers of this show. I don't, I don't know, but who, yeah. the people who have heard it and who've been involved on the tweets and, and, um, sending it out into the world is that they would appreciate the little, um, indigenous gestures or things that nobody else would get except for indigenous yeah. people like oh she pointed with her lips did you guys see that like all on tweet <laughs> she pointed with her lips or oh she did this or she did that you know and it, and that's that to me is like check <laughs> because that's, that's shows the power right there of you know representation uh, yeah, yeah authentic you know um heart driven representation it's mm -hmm. not about checking boxes it's about and and some people have i mean i noticed this when i watched the show i mean when i was doing it was one thing but when you watch it and then to have it uh reflected back to me from other people is this the the most healthy couple about the most the healthiest relationship on in this community is an indigenous couple mm. and you never see that on screen mm. you don't see the two healthy people the ones that people go to the ones that people look up to the ones who live a, a good life who are respected and this is the representation of the indigenous people of this community this mm. is what we're seeing on TV. And to me, that's not very common. So that I'm particularly proud of that. You have worked on um, groundbreaking projects mm -hmm. uh, before. You have been on, involved on projects that have had, you know, all indigenous, uh, you know, teams behind and in front of the camera. You've been in the business, you know, mm -hmm. a long time. Like, how would you, how would you describe this particular moment, as far as how Indigenous people are portrayed, you know, in film and television, like, are we encountering a sea change? You know, is there anything that that you see that is that suggests that you know real actual change is afoot? Yeah, good question, <laughs> and and I'm glad you asked that because I have been in the business long enough for me to see. Um, an indigenous renaissance, which is when I first started this in this business, there were all of my colleagues were starting and sort of, you know, honing their craft at the same time. And mm. that was because the birth of the Aboriginal People's Television Network, APTN. Yeah, APTN. And all of a sudden there was a place for and funding for new directors, new writers, new producers, new actors, like all of these people that you know, because we weren't mainstream, mm -hmm. we weren't cutting our teeth in the way non-Indigenous actors and producers and writers and directors were cutting their teeth because yeah. they got more chances. So all of a sudden we were being given chances and we got to be, I, I was a lead in my own TV show. I yeah. got to, I was this and this and all these things that allowed me to become experienced in the business where I know how to, hold a show I know how to run you know yeah. uh, to be number one on the call sheet and and that would never have happened without APTN so yeah. I've been in this world long enough when there was a big resurgence of oh indigenous people are in and a, and a casting person I'm sorry <laughs> that's a phrase that somebody has well it was like Indians are in and it wasn't a, I didn't know that until it was maybe 10 years later eight years later where the, the casting person actually said, Indians are out. And I went, uh, uh, really? Well, not to indigenous people. So, so I have been in the business long enough to watch the phase of, oh, it's popular. Oh, we're popular. Yay, okay, yes, look at us checking boxes, right? Look how proud, you know, a lot of funders yeah. and broadcasters. Diversity is so hot patting, right now. Patting yeah. themselves on the back and like, yeah. oh, look at us. But I, because I was at the beginning, I thought that we, it was here to stay. Yeah. I thought it was just part of Canadian TV now. Yeah. And then I watched it fall away. Mm. But it didn't mean that it hadn't done its job. Like we, we were, all beginning together and now the next generation had grown up with us mm. on their screens and aptn as something or you know the junos having an indigenous category all of that was new when i was starting right yeah. so all of the categories were changing these things were including us in a way that we never got to see so mm. 
to have to all of those young people that watched us on screens now went well that's something i can do it was just in their wheelhouse now it's like mm. so of course i can so for me i watched my career turn you know quiet and so when it when it came back around again and i literally came here and i haven't you know auditioned for two years and 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 people have seen me and yeah oh she wasn't she was you know, up for a couple of Gemini's and I, lots of people saw me, the casting director saw me in Vancouver here when I moved here. And then they just stopped. And then when mm. this whole wave came back, I got all these auditions again. And I was sort of disgusted by the whole thing. I went, wow, I don't like this industry. So I was suspicious when it all started happening again. Yeah. But then I started seeing, oh, they're yeah, like the Asian community, the black community, people of color, you know, brown community. I'm like, Oh, it's it's collective people with disabilities or extra abilities. Yeah, you know, I'm like, oh, trans community. Okay, queer. We're there's a real shift. Mm. I'm like, okay, and not only that, it's not just in indigenous people trying to fight for screen, or over here the Asian people trying to fight for screen time, or yeah. over here the Indian people trying to, you know, the yeah. South Asian folks. No, it was we were all doing it together, and all of a sudden we were reaching across with solidarity, saying, "Yeah, I got you, brother. <laughs> I got you, sister. I got you, relative." Yeah. Um, and in a way, the sheer number of us mm -hmm. and the sheer number of people supporting projects that we were in yeah. was like, oh, all of a sudden that to me is the real change is yeah. the sheer number of people that can can support a project from different communities yeah. is was foreign to the mainstream broadcasting, you know, mostly white communities who were funding projects. So I think we've crossed over something. I think we've crossed over big time. I mean, we're right now we're talking just on the heels of Lily Gladstone getting the first indigenous like woman lead actor. Like, it's a, yeah, huge. actress nomination. Yeah. And it took um ninety-six years. Oh yeah. On this never land. happened. Why yeah. is it the first time? Yeah. It's ridiculous. So so big deal. Yeah. Big deal. It is a big deal, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's do some time travel. Okay. Um, because I want to figure out how we got here. How do we get here? What do you know, like, like when you were a kid, what role did, you know, storytelling and acting and music, you know, like what, what did, what did these things play in your, in your life? And, mm. you know, and when did you make the decision to, to become the, I'm, I'm literally looking at you as if you are the Métis medicine, wheel, <laughs> you, know? Yeah. you know, to, to, and to like, to pursue it and to center that in your life. Well, I grew up, my dad was the king of the kitchen party. You know, my Métis father, he sings and tells stories and tells jokes. And he's like, he's not background music at a party. When, yeah. when my dad sings, he was the star of the show. And yeah. my mom harmonized. Um, and so I, I grew up with harmony and beautiful music wow and i realized later on that my dad probably wasn't the best guitar player i've ever you know he would skip over the hard chords <laughs> but but boy his sheer the the power the sheer power of his will and his joy at performing for the people in our kitchen or our living room yeah was something to behold and i i and when other people would take the guitar or share it around you'd go eh meh boring you know yeah <laughs> so in many ways i there was a level of of talent that i sort of got used to mm. you know what was good and what wasn't um and just even though my dad would never be an actor he's not an actor but he's he's a good storyteller yeah. he's a good he's and my uncles were good storytellers my mamere like they were they were good at yeah. at at, with charisma they could be charming in front of a crowd and yeah. so my first foray was in theater like mm -hmm. oh actually i didn't even know see my dad did this second you know as a fun hobby it yeah. wasn't something he felt he was allowed to do mm -hmm. you know who, who he had a father he was a father he was a husband he has to support his family yeah so he didn't know he was allowed to do that. And I followed in his footsteps thinking I wasn't allowed to do that. Mm. Just, well, you're it's something you're good at, but 
over here. Mm. And I was going to go and teach drama and Native Studies because I thought, well, that's something that won't kill me. That was literally what I thought. That won't kill me. <laughs> but I thought that was my only choice. Huh. So when I get to the drama department at the University of Saskatchewan, all these other people, because I was, you know, it was my major, I was surrounded by people who were doing the BFA, which is the Bachelor of Fine Arts. And I didn't even know what that was. I'm like, yeah. oh yeah, we're gonna be an actor. I'm like, oh, are you gonna go to Hollywood? I, I had yeah. no idea that regional theater or regional film, you know, companies existed. Yeah. So I was so I was such a bush girl. <laughs> I knew nothing. So when I went to university and I created, you know, work amongst these people who just knew they were going to be in this business, I changed. Mm. My whole world opened up. And I, during those first years in university, I started a band with the late Angie Tisland, who was a woman I met singing at a wedding. She played piano, I sang at a wedding, and we started a band together. So it's like my whole world. What was your band called? <laughs> Her Ratitude, H apostrophe Ratitude. Her Ratitude, that is incredible. <laughs> we sort of sang these feminist songs. <laughs> I, that sounds... That sounds amazing. I would have been a Heratitude groupie, I got to oh, yeah. say. That's But incredible. it was jazzy and bluesy, yeah. so it was kind of interesting, yeah. <laughs> and was there a moment when you when you stated, like, I am going to, like, this is the life for me, and I'm going to try to make a, I, I'm actually shying away from using the word career yeah. here. I do use calling. it a lot, but mm. yeah, call it. I mean, especially with, you know, with after, you know, going through your, Calling. You know, yeah, yeah, it's calling, right? Instead of a career, because it is a way of life. It yeah. is, you know, like, so was there a moment when you're like, I yes. am answering the call? So can you tell me about that moment then? Yeah, there was a big moment. And I was in my fourth year of university, about to go do my practicum to be a teacher, mm. which I am a teacher now, but it's what, it, I'm not in the system. I'm completely mm. teaching what comes through me as an yeah. artist, right? As a healer. Um, and I was having my first existential crisis. I was very young, 25, I think. And I went, oh, God, I'm going to go be a teacher. And I know I'll be responsible and pay back student loans. And I know I'll, I'll. And I was literally depressed. And it wasn't until a friend of mine said, if I had a magic wand and I said, you will never be a teacher, how would you feel? And I went, relieved. And I cried. And she just looked at me with shock and said, well, then why are you doing it? Yeah. And the thought of quitting, because I quit. I quit the university at that moment. Or, or maybe, no, I didn't quit. I went back into my fourth year acting. Because hmm. I would I don't think I needed to for my degree or in an um, education degree. Yeah. And I... I called and I made all of these changes and I felt I was going to die hmm. like because I was I was breaking some rule of society and it was my first understanding which I teach more about today yeah. was my first understanding of how the system programs you to behave a certain way hmm. and if you're from this particular class if you're from this particular people you're expected to be this stay in this lane, don't move over here and obey. Yeah. And it was my first understanding is that I broke those rules mm. and I felt it in every like molecule of my body. I went, I am, and I thought I was gonna die if I broke those rules. And so by breaking them, I broke a lot of things. I broke mm. a lot of paths that were laid out for me. I broke a lot of rules, I broke, um, my own thinking and it I, I had of course had to integrate that for many many years yeah but boy oh boy it was it was big it was a big um moment for me i'm glad that happened yeah, i'm glad you had too. a friend there who had a magic wand and was able to yeah. and several friends like yeah. i needed several to all and some people who were already in the theater business who just looked yeah. at me like duh yeah. Um, what do you mean, duh? What does that mean? Like, you know? And yeah. of course, I look back now and go, duh. <laughs> but I had no idea at the time. Yeah. And um, that first outside of university of getting work and oh, being, got a play, got my first play. Oh, got a second play, got mm. another play, did a, you know, did a concert, did a, did this, did a whole tour, did a this and did, you know, and it just kept snowballing. And yeah snowballing and snowballing and, and now I can't imagine I can't imagine any other 
life. Yeah. Looking back at, you know, the first few years, you know, after you basically broke through to this, you know, uh, to this, to this, you know, answered the call of your calling and, and, um, mm -hmm. the, and your friend waved that magic wand. Like what, what did you, what did you want then from, from the work and, mm -hmm. and from your experience with the work and how is that different or is that different from what you want now? Well, that's a good question. Um, I wanted what I want now. I just didn't know how to articulate it. I didn't understand what that entailed mm. because it was part, part fear to go, I'm not strong enough to be in this business where I'm not brown enough to be being dances with wolves, you know, and I'm not white enough to be the star of whatever, you know, Barbie. Yeah. <laughs> well, not many of us could, but still. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so I didn't know. Oh, and I'm not skinny enough. I'm not tall enough. You name it. Like I can, I can devour myself with insecurity if this career, if this is where I'm supposed to go. So early on, I made like this pact, you know, and I, I'm in the indigenous with my teachers, my aunties, my teachers, um, Anishinaabe and, and, um, Nehe or Cree teachers they would talk about the grandmothers the grandmothers gave you that voice the grandmothers gave you those talents don't waste them you know and mm. and so for me i would have so when i realized that this industry was dangerous for me mm. for my wellness my well-being i went okay grandmothers if i'm supposed to be here if I this is the where i'm i'm going to be the most service then you better Okay, well, I, I should back that up a little because um, what I wanted was to create something worthwhile, mm -hmm. something that would help benefit the world in some way. And yeah. I didn't even know what that looked like yet. I didn't know what that meant. But I got started getting haunted by this character. And she was a 1930s, 40s diva you know, the singing sensation star of the silver screen or stage, more stage. And I was like, who is this character? Yeah. And, um, and I didn't really want to be a singer at the time. I had some major fears around getting famous and all those things that I wasn't willing to look at. And that's yeah. when my elders would say, you were given this gift, don't waste it. You know, they'll take mm -hmm. it from you if you don't use it, right? And so I was really contemplating all of this. When you have gifts, what do you do with them? But how do you survive in an industry that was so unhealthy? It's predatory. Yes. Yeah. What do I do? And and so this character haunted me. And I said, okay, maybe I can write her story because mm. she's famous, but I don't have to be. Mm. I can play a character that's famous. I can play a character who sings. Mm. Then I'm safe. You know, I won't implode or whatever it is that I thought I would do. And so when I got to writing and, and her name was the Velvet Devil, the Velvet mm -hmm. Devil. And so it, this play is it, it, it was a play. It was a seed. My first CD. Yeah. It was a radio play for CBC. Then it was made into a made for television movie mm. for opening night on CBC. So it had this massive life just from this idea. And so when I agreed to do it that, that was when i had this first real argument with the grandmothers you know with my ancestors in the spirit realm i said yeah. okay if i'm gonna write this then you gotta help me like you have to write it for me because i don't know how to write a play yeah. i don't know what i'm doing but it has to mean something that was the only language i had it has to mean something it has to matter and as i showed into the mic it has yeah. to matter and i was shouting i had my fist to the sky or whoever yeah. i'm yelling at and <laughs> and and so I surrendered and I really believed that they would help me because I'm like, that's the deal. Mm -hmm. I am not doing this. I won't survive this business if you don't help me. So I had no doubt they would, mm -hmm. <laughs> which I realized later was unusual. So I opened up, I would show up to the page and I would show up and I would create this deal. And oh, and then I would apply for a grant and say, okay, if I get the grant, mm. then I'll know you're serious and then I'll write it. 
I got the grant. Darn. <laughs> okay, fine. Now I have to actually do this. Oh, no. Yeah. And then the first thing that came out were songs. Mm. And I went, well, it's not a play. What are you doing? Because like, yeah. I'd never written songs really before either. But here's me writing these lyrics pouring out of me. And I'm like, well, what? what's this? What is it? Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, realizing that the, the songs were the play. Mm. And there was, this was my first journey into breaking open all of the industries like so when i said it was a play radio play uh cd and then uh made for television movie those are all the industries i'm in now Mm -hmm. and i was a dumb bush kid who had no idea about any of these industries i knew a little bit about theater that's about it that's which is where i could anchor it but every time i had to expand the velvet devil into this new genre it's like i had to break all those rules and open up all these limitations in me i was terrified every time i'd be on my floor crying i can't do it i can't do it i can't do it like we're having to raise seventy thousand dollars for a cd you know i'm like i i I couldn't imagine ten thousand dollars i thought that was the most amount of money ever Mm. and then to realize that it wasn't even close to what I could afford. So yeah. having to expand my my beliefs in myself, my beliefs in my capacity to handle yeah. um, bigger levels of success, bigger levels of output, it was huge. And I call her my emancipator because, you know, after 10 years of playing in all of these realms and expanding into them, I could do it again. Yeah. Once you do something once, you can do it again and again and again. So. Yeah. So those were the formative years for who I am now. Yeah. I guess also there was that realization too that you do have that support, that you do have mm. the the grandmothers there and you have oh, the yeah. ancestors there. And um yeah. they I absolutely one hundred percent trust everything that comes out of me because of that deal. Yeah. And I like I said, I wanted it to matter back then. Mm. But now I realize I want people to come home to themselves, to their true essence of a a spark of creation you know a worthy being of part of the wheel of life you know and most of us don't believe we have we matter or that we have um yeah that we're worth anything so uh, to bring people back to themselves or that that's even possible like it's a possibility to to have that kind of you know honesty and sense of purpose and yeah um, can we, I know we're going in all directions and, you know, <laughs> I, I just want to make sure that we talk about Debbie Fraser, um, yeah. because that was, I feel like my first introduction, um, you know, to, to your work. I mean, you will not remember this, but I, I actually, sp- 10 years ago, you know, spoke to you on the Leo's red carpet, you know, about, about Debbie. <laughs> um, and, you know, and she was, I mean, she was. I mean, Blackstone itself was, you know, mm-hmm. it was. Yep. I think about even what Carmen went through on like what oh, her character yeah. went through on that show. Oh yeah. Um, you know, but like Debbie was um, like feisty and uh, ferocious and um, <laughs> and mean. Yeah. Sort of like kind of like the bitch on Blackstone, really. I like yeah. to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Di- little, little different than Edna. Yeah. Um, can, can you tell me about like the um, the the joys and challenges, you know, of Debbie, you know, and um, and you know what you got to do there that you, yeah. you know, hadn't had the chance to to do before. Yeah, like, is it as big a deal for for you as like it was for me as a viewer being like this woman? Oh, oh my god, god. <laughs> foul mouth and oh my god. Well, I'd never really played a villain. Yeah. Um, and in in many ways, like even though my reprehensible husband of mm-hmm. the show is the villain of the show, Andy, right, Andy. <laughs> um, um, but I have to say that it was a real, it was fun to be able to, you know. And of course, Carmen's my friend, and Michelle are my friends. So to me, that it's like Michelle Thrush, yeah, yeah, <laughs> Michelle Thrush, like to actually have to be there, the they're the rival family you know (laughs) for the throne (laughs) of the res um it was fun you know i it it was an aspect of self that is worthy of exploring you know i mean we've Mm. got we all have that in us we all have petty 
insecure, needy, shallow people in our lives. And for me to play that and for her to be broken open in many ways, because the first season you just see her, you know, being this rich bitch, you know, picking on Carmen's character. Yeah. Um, but the second season and third and fourth that you see is that, oh, she's she's a bit nasty. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and she's also in many ways the only ones that could stand up to Andy. Mm hmm who's played by Eric Schwag, who's yeah. brilliant, the reprehensible chief of the res, right? So good, it's um, such a good show. <laughs> yeah, and the fact that she could stand up to him in ways that no one else could, yeah. which was exciting to see the dynamic of, of that relationship. And it changes and it changed, but it was, it yeah. was fascinating. Did to you like, did you like her? Like, did you, did you, did you like Debbie? Yeah, I kind of did. <laughs> I kind of loved her. Like she was, she was shallow and <laughs> and mean, yeah. but she kind of liked being mean. Like yeah. there was some, that was her way of getting back from uh, the judgment of the community, you know, yeah. to lord over, you know, <laughs> she was, I liked her. Yeah. <laughs> she was awful, but I loved her. Did you, did you mourn her? Like when you had to, yeah. you know, say goodbye to, yeah. um, to that, character because uh, yes and no yeah. you know I feel like it was right on time yeah I you know like to play a character that was going she was going downhill like she was going dark it was kind of ugly that last season yeah so in many ways it's like me and the grandmothers I think the grandmothers you know plucked me up by my scruff and said okay we're going over here now yeah, enough of that Andrea yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> remember that prayer we made <laughs> about uplifting people back to themselves let's move on over here yeah I, I that's my that's my take on it anyway because <laughs> yeah. somebody was gonna die that season and who was it it was Debbie <laughs> oh yeah uh so good i mean it, it was it was good it was it was like a, as a viewer it was it was wonderful to to watch the the writing the performances you know the yeah i i really i enjoyed it no oh, very thanks. very much so and i did i you know you love to hate debbie i mean that's uh oh totally of, of all the characters that you've played on screen like which one is is closest to who you are and and then you know which one is like farthest away hmm well i loved playing the velvet devil because that was my baby yeah that was me birthing this world that and to stand and look around and to go one little character that haunted me and i look around and look at all the crew and every set that was built and and i i, I it was astonishing to me that one little dream could envision like could create these many people supporting a vision mm -hmm. and it was it was the most humbling thing of my life so that was a big one for me like yeah velvet devil the television movie was huge yeah um debbie was fun <laughs> i even like you said fun fun, fun. <laughs> um and i'm loving edna because i get to tap into you know kind of that anti-old woman in me one of my traditional names my Cree name is which is grandmother wind and mm. that's the little wise woman in me you know that I was embarrassed to walk into that name because it sounded like an elder's name mm. I'm like forget it I'm not saying that but you know I walked into it and you know in many ways Edna is bringing that out in me it's like I'm sort yeah. of allowing that part of myself to be seen so it's nice and and my you know i'm ne i'm always fierce because i am a fierce woman yeah. but um and who else i don't know i've played a lot of cops because i'm you have yes. i played a lot of cops yeah. cops detectives you know and it's a lot of lesbian cops you know yeah. before they were using actual lesbian women um for roles i, I played a lot because I, I i spent time in the military i'm i'm strong i'm fierce i'm authoritative <laughs> i get shit done right so so um for me to play softer characters was kind of was kind of the the nice change i guess yeah. you could say i mean the thing with edna though is that yes she's she is as I said, like the the source of comfort, and she's so like just driven with love. But she, there's like, oh, she's fierce. She's so fierce. 
Yeah, she's fierce. <laughs> I know I can't help. No, yeah. I can't not put that in. I don't know how to not. No, it's but it's good to see. It's good to see that yeah. you can be, you know, because I think for the longest time we see wit, like women have, you know, it's been like you can either be like, you know, like, you know, a pushover or you can be like a bitch. And it's like, no, you can actually be like, you know, soft and strong. Like that's a yeah. that is a thing that that and that should be celebrated. And that's a different kind of representation. But oh, I, thanks. I like to see it, too. Um, we're getting to the end of our time together today, but I do, I, I need to ask you about the Sacred Feminine Learning Lodge. Hmm. Can you tell me, to, to, like, is because I, am I correct in assuming that it's connected a lot to the kind of stuff that we've talked about today? Yeah, yeah, the, about that prayer and about what yeah. I said in the beginning about the center of my medicine wheel. Yeah. So the Sacred Feminine Learning Lodge came out right before COVID when I wasn't working very much and I honestly thought, oh, maybe I'm done in this business. Maybe I'm meant to walk away because during COVID, I wasn't performing at all. Mm. Like my guitarist lived, because people were doing concerts, but when they were in their bubble together, well, mine lived in Edmonton, so I couldn't. I, 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 and, I and I knew maybe three drum songs, the right rattling drum songs that I could perform for a concert, but that's it. So, yeah. so I wasn't performing much, I wasn't doing any acting, and I wasn't inspired to do anything really at the time, in the beginning. But what I was inspired to do was help others who were really, really struggling. And I, oh. and I, I had this, um, ceremony that I did this ritual with people that I would go into the downtown east side and, and whoever and just give a free workshop um, called the four sacred bodies ritual or the honoring your four sacred bodies there's two different versions and and I during COVID I was in circles with lots of indigenous women entrepreneurs and, and people who were struggling but we were checking in on each other all the time mm. and people were struggling and so I just out of the blue got over myself and I didn't know how to run anything on Zoom like mm. most people and I just started helping people once a week I would do these circles and it's a lifesaver it was, it was yeah. and it was free and it was my way of just giving back and then people started to get better and and then I started doing it once a month on new moons, which I have continued to do since then. So I think for two and a half years, I've been doing new moon ceremonies on online. Yeah. And and so I realized that all this stuff that was coming through me when I wasn't putting these creative efforts towards acting, singing, writing, producing that work, it was coming out as healing things. And they were trying to help me too. I was definitely needing to heal myself i was mm -hmm. deeply um struggling with different things and and i was being helped by the grandmothers were giving me mm -hmm. new things to bring to the world for myself yeah. but i also they whispered that you're going to be teaching these you're going to be teaching these you're going to be sharing these i'm like yeah right <laughs> i was like you kind of mouth back to the grandmothers oh, a lot <laughs> yeah that's our relationship <laughs> yeah. i'm the grandmother on the ground remember <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i'm the human one it's way harder down here <laughs> and, and uh, um and so all of a sudden these things that were coming out of me see were as creative to me as writing songs for an album or creating the whole package of an album or yeah. or a theater show which i've just created as well so you know i didn't realize it at the time but um all of these things needed a place to put because they didn't fit over in my acting singing already i was like yeah. where do i put them they're in i knew they were in my messenger quadrant but i didn't yeah. have a place for them so the sacred feminine learning lodge was like an online place where i went okay i can put this course here i can put this here and i could put an announcement about my new moon circle like people can find it yeah okay and so with that um in place i i felt free to now oh it's like i had my own little storefront or my mm -hmm. own little university where I could go oh that's where that can go that's where yeah. that creative part of me can land mm -hmm. and I'm still a one-woman show there you know I do courses and I do things like that but it's it's I treat it like oh I'm on tour for six weeks you know this is what I do for six weeks and then it sort of falls away and oh I literally am on tour yeah. <laughs> or then I'm in a film projects and sort of I like to say that my medicine wheel quadrants sort of rise up 
like a mountain and the other ones are valleys for a while they're very very quiet and then when that mountain shifts down and the other one rises up um, from the valley and all of a sudden becomes a mountain it's like i'm given what's next okay what is next in my output and how am I being of service next? And I never know what's coming. I don't know. So when I said I was, I thought I was done acting, singing, you know, performing, I honestly thought I was because it was yeah. such a long valley. Mm -hmm. And this was such a high mountain of creating for helping others, healing others, you know, doing these workshops that I thought, oh, this is what I do now. And I let it go. I said, okay, creator, grandmothers, I get it. Like if, if you, you lead me. I, I surrender. Like, what is, how can I most be of service? Mm. And then cut to the next scene. I'm doing a new album, a new theater show, and a new TV series. I went, really? <laughs> really? <laughs> like, I thought, oh, and a new deck of cards, right? So that way they've been published to the world from the Sacred Feminine Learning yeah. Lodge, right? So I went, okay. So all four of my quadrants are sort of going over time. Um, I, yeah, yeah. All right. I guess the whole point was to be of service and mm. to get out of my way and let let the grandmothers use me as as skillfully as they can as long as I show up with a willing open and open heart. Yeah, you got to trust the grandmothers. Um you've mentioned so many new projects and I even know that probably when you know, a couple of months from now, there's going to be even more projects. So <laughs> I, I can tell everybody that um, uh, Andrea's uh, website, which is uh, andreamenard.com, um, is a so you can go and see like, oh, you may be like, oh, Sabrina, there are like so many things that you did not include, you know, in your <laughs> intro. And you're just going to have to come back and talk about these things. Yay. Um, but Andrea, where can our th thank you from my heart for being here today. It was fantastic to finally sit down and have this conversation with well, you. You're so good. So thank you. Thank you. For, you're so good. Thank you for um, including me in your beautiful podcast. I'm I'm. I'm happy to have you here uh, when season two drops of Selvin's Crossing. You're coming back because I really okay. Deal. I'll, I'll, I'll want to. I want to talk about that. I'll, I will want to debrief. <laughs> but I just know it's going to be emotionally churning, just like the yep. first season was. Um, but uh, where can our listeners find you and follow you on on social media? Yeah, it's either Andrea Menard or Andrea Menard Music. Okay. So I think because sometimes there's many Andrea Menards. So andreamenard.com, you can find all this here, but yeah. but Andrea Menard Music on Instagram and I think my Facebook page and I think YouTube um, and Andrea Menard on everything else. I'm glad you're everywhere else. Oh, there is one more thing um, that I do want to mention. Uh, Andrea has two dogs. Uh, one's 15 years old mm -hmm. and one's 18 years old. Do you want to say their names? Gaby and Jack. Hi, Gaby. Hi, Jack. Hi. I love you. I love you. <laughs> uh, we we have we put a lot of respect on animals uh, mm. on this on yes. on this podcast. Yeah, you know they are they are companions in this. You know, and they're a lot of work yeah. at they at this age. They're a lot of work. Oh, so yeah. it's it's a hands on job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so okay, I'm gonna let you get back to let you get back to them. Um, thank you. And uh, thank you, listeners, for spending this wonderful time with us today. Um, please like, subscribe, leave us a review if you are so inclined. They help us find even more listeners and they increase our visibility, which, you know, means that I can keep having conversations like this incredible one that we had today. Uh, and I really want to do that for many, many thousands more episodes to come. Mm -hmm. uh, you can find us at Waviar Screen Scene. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Mastodon and I don't know threads. I, I I tend to open accounts places. I don't use them all, but anyway, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at YVR Screen Scene and at Sabrina. And if you want my cat photos, go to at Sabrina. Uh, the YVR Screen Scene podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Ranimera Firminger, and it's edited by Simon Firminger. Oh, here come more Firminger. Special thanks to Mariana Firminger for recording our Patreon ad and to Paul Firminger for technical support. YVR Screen Scene is a division of the Firminger family's Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut! Hey filmmakers, did you know that you can hire top quality, experienced and professional actors for your films? 
If you're producing a student film for course credits, working on a web series, a short or a feature film, you can afford to have some of the best talent in the business in your production. How, you ask? Well, UBCP Actor has an ultra-low budget program, which offers a range of options that cover everything from student films to productions with a $300,000 budget. There is a ULB program that will meet your needs, regardless of your budget. To learn more, visit ubcpactor.ca and look for ultra-low budget programs or email ulbprogram at ubcpactra.ca. Now is the time to jumpstart your dream for the screen.